before Janeway and Picard, before Spock and Kirk, the Star Trek saga began. Enterprise, this fall on UPN. Welcome to Strange New Takes. I'm your host, Notch Karnik, and with me in sepia tone talking to our dads are... Max. Rudy. Ms. Baker. And Adam Bowen. Welcome to Strange New Takes, everybody. Uh, we're going to be talking through our pilot series here, uh, and we're on to the next one, which is uh, Star Trek Enterprise Broken Bow. Join us for some great discussion. Follow us on social media. That is at the rate Strange New Takes uh, on Facebook. Instagram, Twitter. Um, tell your friends about the pod. Um, we love getting new listeners. And also do not forget to rate us as five star on iTunes. That helps us come up in the lists, in the search list. And that's how people find us. So we appreciate your love. And we love you too. And as always, here's the obligatory spoiler warning. Uh, this episode isn't quite as old as some of the ones that we've talked about recently, so maybe you haven't seen it. But anyway, um, fair warning, we are going to be spoiling this one as we go along. Some people haven't watched a ton of Enterprise, so I suspect if there's one episode that's from older Trek that maybe uh, we we might, the spoiler warning might be sincere for This one, I think, might qualify, uh, but... Uh, Let's let's see what happens. Um, but first, why don't we start with our strange new takes today? Who wants to go first? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we've been waiting here for a long time, and I I think we might might be able to say it's a it's been a long road. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so oh. I, I was I was going to sing, but I have suddenly become absolutely terrified of it. So I am not going to sing. <laughs> <laughs> and no, no, let's see if if you could just incorporate as many lines from the theme song into your strange new take. I'll, I'll accept that instead of the singing. <laughs> no, 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 no pressure. Uh, yeah, so just, just I, go where your heart will take you. I've got faith uh, that because we can my do heart this, will guys. go on. I, I'm not sure what, what, where you're. <laughs> oh, okay. Where my heart? That that is part of the song. There we go. Okay. I thought we were going down Titanic routes and all of that stuff. So instead, what I'm going to be telling you is uh, my strange new take is uh, it. This one, I uh, it has been when I watched the this uh, the episode for. Um, Wait, is it Emissary or The Emissary? We, when we watched the pilot of Deep Space Nine, that really impacted me and, and sort of solidified for me. That might be the best pilot. The one I was unsure about was whether Broken Bow would be it. And I can solidly say it's uh, Deep Space Nine. They've got the best pilot. Uh, this this one was, uh, I, I think, had some great great parts with it. Uh, it's just the, uh, the, the, the emotional impacts weren't quite there for me. So... All right. Um, I also want to go in and touch upon the intro song. Um, I, I like all the intro um, themes and, and the songs behind them for all the Star Trek series. 
I know some of us have made fun of this one. I actually, I actually like it. It, I mean, it's it kind of draws parallels to where we're coming from, right? And where where we it, it connects with reality today in some way. And this kind of ties into my other strange new take, where and I've been talking about uh, the Mars helicopter in January. It it flew again, and it, it, and and they're the, you know they're running more tests and. Um, well, it's a bummer that it's not going to last for too long. It's supposed to run out of power or whatever in, in a week or two. Uh, but imagine doing that intro sequence for Enterprise and replacing Pathfinder right on Mars with this little helicopter, right? Um, so, so yeah, I, I actually like the, the intro sequence. I'll go out on a limb and say that. Um, a lot of cool people in it, you know, Apollo, the Apollo crew, um, I think John Glenn um, going to space. The second, I mean, as a, as a seventy five year old or as a seventy plus year old is also in there. I I don't remember much of it, but I had done some research on it. And I like I like the sequence. It was grounded in some reality. Mm-hmm. Oh gosh, I I like the sequence, but I can't do the song, and I will. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that for now. I'll have more to say about that later. But you know, for now, uh, my strange new take is. Uh, a, a real world uh, strange new take today um, and a little bit of backstory here. So one of the one of the sort of highlights, I guess, of the pandemic is that early on, kind of beginning of last summer, um, I bought a gaming PC and I have been getting back into PC gaming. And one of the games that I've been playing a lot of is a game called Stellaris, which is a space uh, grand strategy game that I have used to kind of simulate a lot of my Star Trek fantasies. And I discovered Ooh. just this week that there is a um, complete overhaul mod for this game. I think it's called New Horizons. That is a Star Trek mod that like gives you access to all of the different civilizations. You can play as the Federation. You can play as the oh my Borg. God, um, so, you know, if I just disappear for the next few months, you know, you'll probably find me in a basement somewhere playing this game. <laughs> uh, I'm a little worried about the impact it's going to have on my life, but it looks pretty amazing. Yeah, I I just uh, started Stellaris again this week, and oh, I God. I sunk a good almost ten hours into this thing, and and yes. it just your life just goes away. Uh, yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun though. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Well, um, if uh, if if that's all, Max, I I will start by saying. The SpaceX spacesuits are really shitty looking. I hate them, and. <laughs> you know, I, I am not the greatest Elon Musk fan of this entire world. I'll just put that out there. And I feel like this is the kind of jokery that he and his organizations do that just gets on my nerves. They look like clowns. And they should go back to wearing regular, uh, the orange stuff, whatever that spacesuit NASA made, whatever it's called. Anyway. Um, also, by the way, ISS Commander with the shortest uh, service, 13 days. Shannon Walker about to return to Earth and be replaced by... Uh, Akihiko Hoshide, uh, as of um, three days from now. So keep keep that in mind. But on this, uh, a strange new take uh, for Star Trek. I like Enterprise a lot. I actually genuinely like the series. I like the theme song. I don't like the video actually for the intro, but I can deal with it. Um, but I I genuinely like this show, and I have for many years. So it's not something that I've like come around to, and. I feel like 
watching this episode helped me realize what it is about Enterprise I like and what it is about Enterprise that kind of grates on my nerves a little bit and why maybe the later seasons are better than some of the earlier ones. But maybe we'll get to that towards the end of our episode today when we when we reflect on the rest of Enterprise uh, and, and talk about that. So uh, with that, let's jump into, into talking about Enterprise a little bit, as we have for Deep Space Nine and for Voyager. We've started with a little bit of a, a discussion of what the stage was like before the show was created. Now, the UPN network launched with Voyager, and Voyager's ratings had been kind of on a little bit of a downward, not a little bit, quite a bit of a downward slope towards the end of its run. UPN needed another uh, hit show. Star Trek was its one of the, the big flagship franchise. They needed this show to be good. So you can imagine that the producers were coming in and they were thinking, like, how do we make this Star Trek, but how do we also give it kind of a fresh take? How do we... Um, how do we go where our hearts will take us? Star Trek's been a long road already, but uh, okay, I'm gonna stop now. Um, but but they needed they needed something new, and the first thing that they did was lop the Star Trek off the title. It's just Enterprise, and uh, yeah, there was there were some other changes that they also made. Uh, so uh, I I guess according to Brandon Braga, the uh, temporal Cold War arc was created to, at the request of the studio, which wanted to make something more futuristic, which feels a, a little bit strange for a show that is uh, decidedly unfuturistic from the perspective of the rest of the series. Which was also intentional. They wanted something a little bit more relatable in this area of Star Trek where less had been seen on the screen before. Because the closest we'd come to this in Star Trek basically was First Contact. And we'd also seen some parts in um, kind of time travel episodes of previous series. But this was essentially a barren era, the time between First Contact and original series. Yeah. And there's actually just a, a fabulous episode uh, that, that sort of ties in what, what happened in, in First Contact into Enterprise. And then also uh, gives a little bit of a call out to uh, TNG. So uh, I, don't, I don't know. It's a, uh, I think it, it works out pretty well. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't know, if, you know how much we want to get into this now since we're kind of setting the stage here. But I think that um, you know the, the look and feel of the show, I think, is one of the real strengths. And I, I think it's a very convincing take on kind of this earlier period in history. And there are all kinds of great things that they do to really kind of pull the viewer um, into that time period. Yeah, well, why don't we tackle that a little bit? Because that's part of how the show was kind of conceived. Can you, can you just elaborate a little bit on what you think about the look that really appeals to you? Yeah, so so you know, I'm I'm looking at the notes here, and I'm seeing that you know they they did consult some submariners for kind of feedback on the the look and the feel of the ship, and I think you you see that in the way that the ship is set up. I mean, it looks um, you know kind of cold, kind of like industrial, kind of like metal piping everywhere. I mean, it looks kind of like a, a naval vessel would look today, right? So you can really kind of clearly draw, I think, the connection from um, the world that we live in now to kind of the world that they're in, you know, um, however mm -hmm. many hundreds of years in the future this is. Um, and it, it feels kind of easy to connect to, I think, in that sense. Yeah, a, a lot of the, the the look and feel of, of Enterprise, uh, it, it feels 
it feels like everything in the ship actually has a purpose. Like the, these LCD screens that they're looking at, uh, well, one, they're four by three, but the, it's, it's also <laughs> just a, uh, so I guess that's a thing they got wrong. Or uh, we've all seen the glorious future and we know that four by three is the best by then. Uh, but the, like there's a, it, it feels like things have an actual reason to be where they are on this ship in a way that uh, I feel like a lot of, uh, even though I love L cars and all that stuff, it's all clearly just completely pretend. Uh, whereas uh, I, I feel like there's a like the the warp core feels like something where we actually need to turn those dials and we need to like fiddle with these components because like something very bad will happen if we don't. Uh, and I, I just I do appreciate that about the design of the show. And there's I, sorry, I, go ahead, Rudy. Yeah, I was just gonna say going back to the uniforms. Um, I've really, I'm going to make a comparison here again. I've really appreciated the um, uh, the grounding to reality that the, 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 the TV series, The Expanse, has, has sort of established. Mm. I think a lot of uh, sci-fi writers or journalists feel that it is the closest analogy to what reality could be 100, 200 years from now. Um, and if you look at the uniforms, the military uniforms of the UN, um, in, in the expanse. I'm I'm not saying they're compatible to the ones in the enterprise, but you can you can make a connect there, right? It's it's um it's tangible to reality today and a hundred two hundred years is is not a long way away from now. So um I, I I like that grounding and I think they didn't go into it too much, but I'll I'll actually make another I'll I'll make another connection. Um not since you mentioned SpaceX um uniforms the 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 dragon um cruise ship did you see that as somewhat familiar to the part that um tucker and um and the captain were coming in on in the beginning like it kind of had a weird sort of um, bottle nose sort of. head shape that just struck me um a little bit in the beginning um but yeah so a lot of lot a lot of uh, um you know lines drawn to reality or, or you know in the past, it's it's almost like they kind of felt that's how things were going to be, and I think they weren't too off with with how the SpaceX modules the the, the ships look like today. Yeah, and and actually, I feel like that pod uh, it it feels really similar to the uh, the cockpit of the Phoenix to me, uh, and I I wondered if if that was sort of a purposeful uh, callback that they were making there, which sits on a missile, right? Which is essentially yeah. what the SpaceX. I mean that's not not that's not like a shuttle or any anything. It's, mm -hmm. it's basically on uh, a missile. So yeah. The the other thing that this show really strived to do, besides the kind of time period, and we've talked about how it was visually set in that time period. One of the other things that they wanted to set out to do was really make it kind of the, the storytelling had to be more character driven, and it had to be um, based on a, a more relatable experience just generally as well so i think the the show was trying to say like it's not this weird future that you cannot see yourself and you can be an enterprise you can see yourself walking through the hatches um you know jonathan archer is in a ball cap um mm -hmm. the the so so the the visuals are certainly part of that but even it was written i would say in a way that really emphasized the character's reactions to what they were going through and one way to look at this is it's kind of going back to what tng was in some ways 
Um, not in necessarily in the relatability of the setting, but TNG was very much about what would you do in this situation, whereas Deep Space Nine and Voyager were very much about the, the setting and, and the Voyager more so than DS9. But still, uh, DS9 was a serialized approach to it, but it was still very much like there's a war happening and let's see what happens next, whereas TNG was much more so like what will our characters choose to do in this mm -hmm. situation and do you agree with them? And I think Enterprise was a little bit of a return to that. Yeah, I, th I think that's a good point. It's it's kind of a, uh, what would you do if you were in Star Trek, but Star Trek doesn't exist yet? Like you you, you have to kind of, like they, they don't get to uh, sort of play to the like, oh, well, the Federation, uh, uh, whatever paragraph uh, requires me to do this in, in this particular situation. Uh, so it's it it's interesting to just see this this crew just get out there and explore and uh, kind of deal with the limitations that they have and and struggle with it a bit. But yeah, I I, I do feel like this show has uh, hits that relatability a lot better than the other ones. Did did y'all do y'all remember your reaction to hearing about Enterprise? I I I remember being pretty skeptical about it because I I I think around that time there had been several um, pitches for like random uh, prequels of things and it it felt a bit like like Enterprise was like okay well prequels are a good idea in general so we should do one too uh, let's do this one and it's it it felt um, I don't I, I don't know it it felt a bit uh, kind of like can we do it also. Uh, but not having a, a clear purpose other than that. The the most famous prequels of the time being, of course, Star Wars. Mm, yes. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Star yeah, Wars was very much in the spotlight around this time. Um, you know, I think for me, um, this this series premiered at a time in my life where I'm ashamed to admit I was. Um, I was kind of taking a little break from Star Trek. I think I, you know, like a lot of nerds kind of went through one of those phases where I, I wanted to be cool and I felt like I had to ditch some of the nerdy stuff that I really enjoyed when I was younger. Oh. Um, and so, yeah, there were a couple of years where I wasn't really watching a lot of Trek. And then, I mean, it, it was very short-lived. I started buying the... Uh, the next generation DVD sets once those started coming out and kind of went full fledged on that very quickly <laughs> um, in the early 2000s. But but yeah, in, in a way, this series kind of passed me by because, you know, I wasn't actively watching Trek in um, what I heard about the series from other people, to be honest, was was pretty negative. And I think that kind of made me less interested um, in in watching it. And so. Um, I actually have never seen the full series of Enterprise. At this point, I've only seen the, the first season, so um, I have some catching up to do. Okay, let's cancel the rest of our plans and just uh, take you <laughs> this through. This is an and, Enterprise and podcast Enterprise. now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> welcome to Enterprise Cast. Uh, I'm your host, Max Crowder. <laughs> I, will, I will say that I was a, when I first heard about it, I was a little disappointed that they were trying to go back before TOS and I thought so much was done with um, DS9 and Voyager and I was just curious to know what happens next right mm -hmm. um, to mm -hmm. the universe so but I was I was biased that way uh, I will say though I, th I don't know if it was the trailers or something but having a Klingon run through a cornfield it did appeal to me to some extent. So I was like, yeah, hmm, this could be interesting. And it was a really green cornfield. Corn and and, then the, and then I think the trailer had that explosion of that green silo as well. So um, that was, that it weirdly sticks out to me, like what, 15, 20 years ago. <laughs> 
and I feel like that that scene reminds me so much too of Star Trek 2009 um you know like the early mm. scenes where they're in in Iowa and and young Kirk is you know doing his stuff there I mean different things are happening but just that that kind of setting you know so in a way I think there there was some recognition that that, that was kind of a striking and memorable way to to set something up yeah I, I do want us to get a Star Trek that is not just the uh soul food and uh, uh vineyards at some point and and san francisco like i i do want us to have a star trek where we actually see earth like and what right. what's actually going on uh here and it's uh so i yeah I, I do that does appeal to me seeing those those things funny you should mention that star trek enterprise was first conceived as it's as starting out on earth and the first season being about constructing the warp five ship and then they realized that, you know, a construction zone is probably not what people want to see on a fresh new Star Trek that drives ratings up. So anyway, it would still have been fun, I think. But yeah, uh, I, they, I mean, 2009 was was a, like we saw the building of the Enterprise. I, th- I mean, mm-hmm, it was 15 right. minutes or something, but I don't know. That cool. could have been compelling. <laughs> what, why does Star Trek always, by the way, when they show us Earth, why is it always like rural or like well, massive city like? evil people yeah and why is it that like all all the captains come from these like bucolic like rural settings like there is there a single captain that's from like new york city like no they all have to be from like iowa or nebraska or you know oklahoma or something alaska alaska yeah why why can't like clang like drop his ship in like i don't know uh new york and he's like eh, forget about it you know like something like that like a guy with like a thick new york accent deals with it or like they come the like the ship like crashes in minneapolis or something like that like you know it's it, no it's like it, you have to have the southern fa- farmer but mm-hmm. before we before we get there i i want to share like i i went back and saw when i joined the trek bbs and my join date is 26th march 2002 which is Pretty soon after um, Enterprise premiered, because this episode was on 26 September, and it was just a, just a few months after that that I joined there. That was like m- the start of my becoming a hardcore Trekkie. So this episode came out right as I'd become a massive Trekkie. I'd watched most of Voyager, and then I went online to look up what's going on, and I saw the trailers. And I, this, I have a distinctive memory of one of the trailers showing the like temporal cord war dude being like, the humans, you must kill them, or something <laughs> like that. And like that being part of like the, the trailer. And... I didn't understand the reaction of the fan base because I was very new to it. I think I will express being somewhat, um, how do they skeptical is the right word, but I wasn't like, yeah, let's go, let's watch Enterprise, but it was more like, hmm, I wonder if this is going to capture my interest. And I also remember watching this this pilot and the first few episodes of Enterprise and, and really being skeptical about it. Uh, I did continue. I watched the entire series through its run from beginning to end as it aired. Um, uh, downloading it off Kazaa back in the day because I wasn't in America for the first few years. <laughs> so, <laughs> but well, it, it, You might have been able to see more of the episodes than I was uh, in the first run because I had to fight with uh, UPN to, who kept, on, kept showing basketball instead of Star Trek. Uh, several times really and it, yeah and and so i would i would have to try to see if if the they would show i think sometimes they would show the previous week's episode right before the next week's episode or something like that but uh yeah so, several times we were uh without star trek in a particular week when, when i moved to america i had written all of my like star trek episodes onto like dvds that i could then watch 
and I'm I got rid of those extremely recently. Let's just put it that way. I hadn't watched them in many years. I didn't need to with Netflix and all that. But like all of my like Kazaa like hundred megabyte like probably like two pixel large videos. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, but I distinctly, Rudy, what you said about the skepticism of going back before TOS, the skepticism of the prequels that you, you mentioned, Adam, um, all of that is something that I, I remember coming through very deeply. I also remember the extreme negativity, at least the online communities had towards Enterprise, which, mm-hmm. you know, now looking at the Star Trek online communities these days, it's hard to imagine where that negativity could come from and being in an era like that, right, guys? <laughs> yeah it's just no no one else has anything like that going on right um yeah let me just take this moment to say sometimes dear listener you might find us being negative and like critiquing things because that's the normal part about watching a tv show you want to like talk about what you like and don't like but all of us on this podcast even those of us who aren't here today we really love star trek and all the new star trek too we're big fans of like this whole thing that's happening so uh we hope that we're not being too negative at least i do yeah, whenever I see the the on Reddit like the NU Trek uh, as a way of like shitting on anything JJ Abrams ever did, like <laughs> I just get so angry because like no, I like all of it, <laughs> yeah. right, right. Um, well, let's let's jump into talking about this episode with this memory alpha summary. Uh, Earth launches its first starship of exploration, Enterprise, on a mission to return an injured Klingon to his home world. I think I would throw something in there about like a new alien, they encounter a new alien species and like all the Vulcans somehow look indignant all the time now. Um, but, you know, I think that's a decent summary. So, um, but jumping into talking about the story, I will express some annoyance at how this episode started. I thought the first few lines of this episode were so fan servicey and cringy to me as an existing Star Trek fan that it was one of those like put your like watch through your fingers moments. Yeah. Um, and we're like it literally starts with where no man has gone before and dad being like Dr. Cochran would be so proud of you. It's like <laughs> of cr- crashing your ship. Bet, like because you're not good at flying. <laughs> <laughs> what, what is that? Like, is that like some hover warp core thing that goes into like? It, but it's not a drone. It's it's interesting. What it, I, I didn't I didn't understand what that was and and how that crashed. But anyway, it's it's that. his father's spacecraft. It's it's some sort of like ship that Henry Archer had made, and I'm not I'm not sure if we ever establish which ship that was but um like if it has a name i'm gonna i'm gonna look this up while i it's it's in the intro sequence i think right like or there's something that looks like it in the intro sequence i was more i was more curious about the that model like and it had like that little warp quarry kind of thing was that like an anti-gravity device that let it levitate yeah it's it's (laughs) probably supposed to not like be a helicopter it's supposed to have like inertial dampeners or whatever the hell but lets it uh propel itself but uh yeah it, it's it, it it does seem weird because i feel like by this time they should have figured out that the star trek writers and like the i don't know who all is at fault of these things but they cannot write children at all they should not allow children to be on star trek <laughs> at all Agreed. and so and so to like introduce their their new series by like let's just get a rando uh kid from leave it to beaver and uh let's have him like like he's going to be the one that that shows off our our show. Like it, it just feels weird doing that without it 
I don't know, like, at least have, like, Jonathan Archer has to make a tough call, and then he recalls something that his dad said. Don't just, like, start it up for no reason. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I will also... First of all, uh, the child from Leave it to Beaver played by Marty Davis. Uh, he's the one who played uh, the, the young Jonathan Archer. And Mark Moses playing Henry Archer, who was most famously Duck Phillips in, uh, in Mad Men, if, for those of you who watched that oh. show. Uh, yeah, there we go. He's a pretty... Po- the, the guy who played Henry Archer is a pretty major actor. Uh, and, and so they, 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 and something that you'll see, I think throughout this episode is that this is a very talented cast and even, even the guest actors, they really pulled out all the stops. This is an extremely expensive pilot, uh, feature from quality in, in a lot of stuff, a lot of great CG, but for the time, um, but, but just going back, one of the great actors that they had back was James Cromwell playing, um, Mm -hmm. Zephram Cochran, who again, gives this like Admiral Forrest is like, you know, I'm dedicating the ship, but why, you don't want to hear from me. You want to hear this speech from many years ago that you've probably watched many times because it has all those cool Star Trek phrases. Um, <laughs> on this side, a powerful engine will be built. An engine that will someday help us travel a hundred times faster than we can today on some sort of Star Trek with a bunch of... No, no, sorry. That was the previous movie. Sorry, getting back to this. Uh, faster than we can today. Imagine it. Uh, from all those TV series you watched uh, several years ago, thousands of inhabited planets at our fingertips, and we'll be able to explore those strange new worlds, ding, drink, and seek out new life and new civilization, drink again. This engine will let us boldly go where no man has gone before. Don't take a drink, as you said, where no man. Why are we going back to that when it's like no one? What the hell, yeah, James Cromwell? Yeah, I wondered about that too. I, yeah, I, I thought it was a weird thing to like uh, canonize the like the man part of part of it. Like, I, because I, I, I don't know. I know that we've heard Kirk and everyone else like say the lines, but I don't know that it's ever been like super established that they actually say it, like that. That's an actual speech that they're doing, and instead, instead of just like this is the intro sequence of the show, but. The the thing so, so yes that that bothered me a little bit now it's just like what what is what is happening why 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 are we like putting all these words into Zephram Cochran's mouth but the other thing that just bothered me about this this fan service just from the standpoint of production though was it made these characters look like idiots you know this is a show which is conceived around wanting us to see the wonder with which humanity first went into. St- the stars right warp five and and you really want to like experience these first with the with the crew and see the danger that comes through in circumstances that our later characters just accept as normal but i think putting in all this fan service stuff from the later series where star trek is continuously poking you and say hey we said the words from the thing you like from before I think it makes these characters look like bumpkins and like basically says these guys are losers compared to what you've seen before. Don't you remember all that cool stuff that happens later? And I didn't like that. I think when I when I shared like the things that, you know, Enterprise shakes off later on, I think this is an element of something that they shake off. They lose this like very fan servicey thing because they maybe get, get it out of their system. And I think later M- Enterprise is focused much more on showing us the challenges facing their characters because they're so technologically 
um, hindered compared to what we've seen before, rather than being like, eh, 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 see, we named that thing that later on is going to be really cool, but but it's a Minshara class planet, not an M class, because because <laughs> because you, you see the reference we made there, eh, 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 and. So anyway, I, I that was that was something that like the bulb went on as I watched Broken Bow was that the fan service was a mistake. Yeah, well, and and it 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 doesn't have as a purpose. Like I actually do really like the episode where we have the augments be the reason why that why the Klingons look like humans in the original series because I feel like that level of fan service is sort of like a let's make it into a fun story instead of just like say random shit like hey let me read this other part of the script from a show that you've read before like that's cool isn't it great I said that yeah yeah last night um I watched the uh the new uh, Mortal Kombat movie uh, not to take us on too much of a tangent here but honestly you know that type of fan service was was very front and center in this Mortal Kombat movie where like Uh-oh. you know they have these you know real actors kind of spitting the lines from like the the 90s video game and trying to pass it <laughs> off and it's like this you know in Mortal Kombat that's okay but I don't need that in Star Trek necessarily nope. <laughs> yeah and, yeah and I'm, I'm not I'm not trying to make uh an attempt to explain what they were trying to do. I think it's it's an interesting point, right? When Kirk talks about whatever, you know, going where no man has gone before and all of that. Was that really a speech? But it's almost like accepted lore. And th- I think they were trying to ground it in where it began, but it, it totally backfired. It didn't come off as, as, hey, these are the beginnings of what we take for granted as Star Trek and in and, this and popular culture now um so i think that's where they went sideways i i think there was a lot of potential in in those early beginnings in 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 generally from you know the perspective of how far warp warp 5 can get you the complex diplomatic situation with the vulcans mm-hmm. um and and you know the holier than thou or or better than thou attitude that the vulcans had um, I, I will actually go as far and not, I may disagree with you here a little bit. I, I never bought on to the temporal war. I, I thought there was a lot of potential in just building a, a story on how humanity starts reaching out to the stars yeah. and different species. And and the temporal war kind of confused me, but we may get to that later. I, 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 I like, these are the things that I liked about the pilot and maybe even the first season is, um, the attempt to show humanity going out of its cradle. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely, absolutely. And and I think the script sometimes didn't catch on to the wonder necessarily. So, but I think that that is when Enterprise is at its strongest and it's at its weakest when it tries to like remind us that this is Star Trek, which is funny because they dropped the Star Trek name, yeah. but they can't stop like poking us and saying like, hey, I said the word. Um, but anyway, I'm going to get away from that. Um, Okay, so we have this intro, then we see Clang fall to Earth running through the cornfields and then the farmer, who again, wh- why are all the like Star Trek rural people like, you know, like shotgun type Yeah, I folks. can't believe he had like a space shotgun. Like, it's like right. a huge, <laughs> are you kidding me? It's like last week we had the like banjo playing guy and all this stuff and it's just like... <laughs> anyway, there, there's, there's something to be said about the cultural like display there. But we see that. We see the Saliban right away. Very cool. We'll talk about them in a minute. But 
and then we roll into the intro. We've talked a little bit about the intro already, so I don't want to maybe deeply explore more of this. But I think it, it needs to be said that this is probably the most shocking moment in all of Star Trek on TV. In terms mm. of, like, people watching it. The amount of chicken tenders that were thrown in the air to use oh you know the the tendies flew let's just put it that way yeah when this music started and instead of the music going on said it's been a long road yeah um (laughs) it 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 was one of those things like it it, i remember like i like you notch i liked uh enterprise as i was watching it like definitely there were things that i was frustrated about it but also, I was, like, a kid, so, like, my opinions weren't necessarily the greatest at, at any point anyway. But it, it's it's just the... It always felt to me like that some of the hate was only because they went with that song. And if they hadn't gone with the damn song, we would have had seven seasons. I, dude, and it, and I, it just... Mm-hmm. I don't, I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I, I yeah. still feel that a little bit. Even though, I, like, I don't mm-hmm. I don't hate the song on the same level that I that I used to. But it just... I, I think that that might have been, like, a tactical huge error <laughs> i i totally agree i so i i i do really not like that song <laughs> still i don't think my i thought maybe you know maybe years later my opinion uh would have changed but it hasn't and i i really think that the song is the worst thing about this show i think if you take that out like this is a great show and i i i, I almost remember like is it true that somewhere out there there are versions of uh, Enterprise where someone has like grafted um, traditional Star Trek music into the intro? Like, is that something you could find somewhere? Because if it is, you know, I'll I'll yeah. watch that all day. I I believe that there's a version where the ending theme that plays over the credits of other Enterprise episodes, not this one, because in okay. this one, an instrumental version of Where My Heart Will Take Me plays over the credits. But in other versions, there's a version that is they've taken the end credit song and played it over the credits. There are people who've created credits with that are more like Star Trekky, like CGI credits rather than the human history ones, um, as well. And first of all, we need to credit, give credit where credit is due. Do uh, Russell Watson, English vocalist and tenor, sang "Where My Heart Will Take Me," which was originally recorded by Rod Stewart as Faith of the Heart for the film Patch Adams. Uh, the lyrics were changed <laughs> a little bit for uh, for Star Trek Enterprise. Or, why? Sorry, they were changed for <laughs> like, why, Enterprise. Why that one? <laughs> we, we need the Patch Adams song. That's that's the one we want. <laughs> that's the vibe we're going for. Um, and I, I think, again, this was part of their, like, desire to be like, you know, this is new. It's not, not the other stuff. And... I don't know. There's probably like an entire long form article that can be written about the choice of this song. And I would read it. It would probably be fun. But, um, you know, Rudy talked about how he enjoyed seeing the scenes of human um, progress. Progress. And that's what we start with the sailing ship. I think we should have started with the monkey throwing the bone and the ob- the monolith appearing, but yeah. that's just me. Um, instead, we start with the sailing ship and then we end up with... Um, a very confusing shot of the not Enterprise flying off in the distance before we see the Enterprise. You guys catch that? There's a ship that kind of looks like Enterprise, but it isn't. And this was like the topic of many debates on Trek BBS before it was officially clarified what that ship was. There's, there's. So you see that you see the warp, the the Zephyrum Copperton ship. 
I think you see like um do you see the the like the shuttle that Henry, Jonathan Archer is flying in that opening scene? You see that too. I think well, before there's also the warp a, one ship. There's a uh there's a shuttle uh, concept I think that was used that like we've developed before. I can't remember its name, but it was supposed yeah. to be a successor to the shuttle and I think that's shown early it on. It is. I think it's I think it's that one, then the model ship, then Zephram Cochran ship. Then we see a ship that looks a lot like Enterprise because it has the nacelles, but it's not. I believe that's supposed to be like the warp one or two or something like that. I forget mm. now exactly which ship it is, but it's not Enterprise. And there were people discussing that. Oh, uh, like, what is this ship? Anyway, I'll just I you know you know, you know, maybe we've been discussing this for a long time, but my time to discuss it is finally near, so I need to give my <laughs> my version of how this, this is your briefly. moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I will see my dream come alive at last of talking about this this theme on a on a show. And I will touch the sky. <laughs> Are you reading off somewhere? <laughs> um okay okay but for real i do like it i think it's i think it's all right i can get i got i got i think i hated it initially i got over it and it's fine i you know i'm starting to think that maybe this whole uh series on star trek pilots was a scheme that notch concocted (laughs) so that we could talk about this theme song (laughs) what can i say i can do anything i've got strength of the soul Stop it, mean, it's all you Use need. That, no one's gonna bend or break me. You gotta stop me. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. Yeah, I'm gonna jump in here and, and save this podcast and, and draw another. <laughs> Thank par- you. <laughs> Thank you, Rudy. <laughs> draw another parallel to um, the Expanse, and if you look at the intro sequence of the Expanse, it also shows the evolution of humanity from now um, through the time of the Expanse, and I I think there's there's value there. So they try to do it. I don't know if the, you know, informed um, Trek audience didn't like it because the the other the other series had um, intros that were so far out in, in, in sci-fi imagination that, that actually helped you distance yourself um, from trying to draw parallels to what happens today. But... I actually like the fact that they tried to do it here. So that's why I didn't hate it so much. And, and the song kind of matched the sequence. So I didn't even begin to think about the ships. I was happy with what I recognized that was real as opposed to trying to make sense of what was not real. But I guess that was not the popular opinion um, anyways. So um, I, 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 I'm, I'm with you, though. I, I think that the 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 sequence that they show is is perfect for this because we, we want to give ourselves a different context than the rest of star trek has like in voyager it does make sense to just have like voyager like go through like some like cool yeah like nebula stuff and like go to your gas (laughs) giant or whatever because like we're it's exploring and like we're 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 just we're far out there but like the point of enterprise is like it's where we're where we're coming from is what's important and we're not we're not going to be able to get super far uh with this and so we, we have to get excited about like that this is the beginning of everything and it's uh so i i, I yeah. think that that they chose the correct sequence it's just the uh i think we would have had seven seasons without the song. 
<sighs> well, I guess they couldn't reach any star, huh? But no. okay, all right. Let's uh, let's let's take a break here. We'll return with uh, talking more about Broken Bow's story, maybe a little bit of the characters, and then our ratings. Ever since he was a boy, he knew his destiny was in the stars. Where no man has gone before. But he'd never dreamed he'd be the first captain. Today, we are about to cross a new threshold. To explore the final frontier. Starfleet seems to think that we're ready to begin our mission. The Star Trek saga begins. Let's go. With Enterprise. Launches Wednesday, September 26th on UPN. For centuries, captains have guided their ships by the stars, but he'll be the first to guide one to the stars. They're called phase pistols. They have two settings, stun and kill. Best not to confuse them. This is where the Star Trek saga begins. Enterprise launches Wednesday, September 26th on UPN. Welcome back to Strange New Takes. We're talking about Broken Bow, the pilot of Enterprise. Broken Bow named Broken Bow after they named the place that the Broken Bow incident happens. Brian Braga, and this is legit true. He was like, that just sounds nice. Let's call the episode that. So uh, that's, that's the reason for the name. There's no like metaphor there about like broken bows and arrows not going places or whatever else you'd get from that or I mean, the broken I, I bow of a ship wasn't yeah but, but that's arrow... called the bow right so i i that's always confused me like why, why do you why do you have it in a show about a ship uh. having a broken bow when like no oh, it's a bow say, yeah maybe yeah. it is bow is it bow or bow it, it's broken bow indiana i don't think it's broken bow because indiana is not anywhere near any ships <laughs> Max referencing the the hit Travolta Thank you. Yeah, movie let's give Broken Travolta Arrow. A credit here. I mean, okay, right? there we go. Also starring Christian Slater, uh, famously uh, who appeared in uh, Star Trek: The Undiscovered County because I think his mom was the casting director, if oh, I recall correctly. Go. So he got yeah. a guest spot. It all ties so, back to Trek. Yep. Wait. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's the mistake I made in the in the podcast voting, though, right? I called it Broken Arrow, and then I apologized for it. Did you guys catch that? Maybe, maybe. I, I feel no, like no, I, 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 I did not catch that reference at all, no. <laughs> yeah. Can you uh, record Broken Arrow this weekend? <laughs> yeah, so, all right. Well, getting back to this show, we've talked about the intro. We've talked about, I'm not going to make more references to it if I'm feeling happy. Uh, if I'm not, you'll start hearing more lyrics. Uh, oh, I, I've got faith that you're going to keep to that. So. Yeah, we should put some money on it. <laughs> During the break, we listened to Russell Watson sing the song in concert, and it is quite funny. Reflect, we reflected how it's quite funny that there's an English guy singing this song in an American accent for the show. And the reason I bring that up is because this is a very American-centric show. Like every, you know, the, most of the main characters are American. Things happen in America. You know, even even the culture shown of the Enterprise, like it's it's American submarine culture. It's American uh, flight suits, and uh, it's. I noticed that. I guess it's not a bad thing because that's where the UPN network was broadcasting. But I think we need to acknowledge that this is a very America-centric version of how humanity goes to the stars. I, I mean, it. I think it's it's just a little bit more explicit. But I, I I think that a lot of the other shows have that kind of vibe too. Like the like, uh, especially like the original series. It, like it's definitely like what if America was in space and we and we never did anything wrong for sure. Uh, 
like the but I, I, I guess I, I get the the placement of this a, a bit more, but I, I don't know. Like, so much of space exploration right now is so international that it does feel weird to <clears throat> to switch to a vibe of, like, well, but Americans are the ones that, that like, do the first uh, uh, ship that leaves the Earth, like, permanently. So so let me, let, me, let me push one element of this out, which is this was being made back when the shuttle missions were happening back to back, back to back, back to back. Mm-hmm. And a lot of what we saw was that, whereas since then, since the shuttle has been retired, we've been seeing a lot more American astronauts in the Russian cosmonaut spacesuits. You know, the pictures that we see aren't of them in the orange shuttle suits. They've been flying up in Soyuz. And I think your reference to the previous series, thematically, yes, it was like the American values, perhaps. But I would argue that this show just visually is very, and and auditorially, like the things we see in here are very American in their conception, whereas it's a little bit more dicey in the other shows. It's a little bit one step removed. So Mm -hmm. I don't know what you'll Mm -hmm. think about that. I guess I can see that, but if they wouldn't do that, they would need to sort of do research on, you know, how um, naval crews are dressed and operate in, in, in different parts of the world. And maybe that would be a little too confusing. I'm not saying that it would, but I'm, again, not trying to justify it, but it didn't come across as strongly American to me. Um, okay. But... But I mean, I can see the. In- <laughs> don't want to go back to the intro song. I can see that being a little American. Um, <laughs> I-, I guess you didn't have the 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 striped uniform versions of Russian uh, naval crews, right? But but I I can't think of anything else. Uh, that would be imagine. amazing if they had like a Russian character who was just walking on Enterprise in that like striped like uh, football cut that they wear on uh, Russian naval cruisers. And he's just like slinging vodka everywhere. Exactly uh, drunk. He's like, it's all made in Taiwan. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> I, I, they, they missed out. They should have done that. They, they could have been Chekhov's grandfather, you know? Uh, <laughs> they, they, yeah, that would have been another opportunity for them to do fan service and they missed out. Right. Um, but anyway, uh, just, just something I noticed. One of the things that is, again, established early is that war, disease, and hunger are wiped out in the two generations since first contact. We'd kind of established that previous references, but it's explicit, made explicit here. And then the big other shift that we see very early in this episode is, and this again got Star Trek fans a little bit off guard, is that the Vulcans aren't the good guys. They're shown as, you know, the Jonathan Archer calls him Ambassador Pointy Ears in the very first scene of the of the of the show. And then Ambassador Saval actually makes the appearance in that medical facility. Um, and the Vulcans are shown as and and as holding America. Uh, sorry, that was I, I, that was just a slip. I, I didn't see that explicit. <laughs> Showing as holding Starfleet back, and and Jonathan Archer specifically is shown as somebody being very resentful against them because he blames them for his father not being able to see the warp five ship fly. So. I wanted to get your reaction maybe to that and let's let's put away the knowledge of what happens later in Enterprise about this storyline. What do you think about that? I was really intrigued by the by the way that this was uh portrayed. I feel like this added so much um just kind of depth, I guess, to the, the political situation on Earth, you know, how these two um powers are kind of relating to one another, you know, what the Vulcans share and don't share with the humans. Um 
you know, I, I think for me, it also brought up just some like questions that I, I feel like I've always kind of had about the role of the Vulcans in like the Star Trek chronology and, and sort of the, the world where I don't really understand like what what the Vulcans are doing, you know, like like how how does their state, I don't know, state, I don't think it's an empire, but like, how does their state sort of operate in the galaxy? Like, what are they trying to do? Um, and, you know, if we think about kind of like where, where we are in something like Next Generation or Deep Space Nine, I'm still trying to figure out how it is that like, in that amount of time, the humans surpass the Vulcans as like the, the big dogs and the Federation and the Vulcans really are at that point. I mean, they're still important, but they're kind of a bit player compared to some of the other um, member races in the Federation. And I, I guess, you know, seeing like how far ahead the Vulcans are at this point, mm. um, I want to know more about how that happened. You know, like how, how do we explain that? How do we account for that? I, I think that's a great call out. Um, I'm I'm gonna go back a little. So that, that that was the last part of what you said, Max. I'm gonna go back a little and and, and touch upon me also liking um, how the Vulcans are shown as you know they're intending to be protective, but we're seeing them as um, humans are seeing them as oppressive. But I think that's a very natural progression of making first contact with a more advanced species, and um, it's almost like I can draw parallels to the way Vulcans treat humanity and enterprise and in the pilot is, is similar to how they treat um, child Spock in, in the 2009 movie, right? They're condescending and they're like, you don't understand. And, um, mm -hmm. and I, I won't go into the rest of the season or the series, but I think the there's episodes where they show that humans are kind of like brazen and, and they get burnt in one or two situations when they don't listen to, uh, mm -hmm. to Paul, for example. So I like that. The, the switch that you talk about, I think that is extremely fascinating. That that could be a whole theme in itself. Um, Notch, I know you're a big Mass Effect fan. Doesn't that also kind of happen in Mass Effect where the humans come across more advanced species and then suddenly become like the diplomatic center of... I don't know. You know I, I don't... I, it, it is for sure a trope uh, yeah, in, in such a sci-fi uh, sci that yeah. uh, that humans are for some reason like much faster at developing technology than than others are. The curiosity uh, of humanity takes takes them helps them well, overtake other races or whatever. I don't know. It's weird. You're right. It's weird. That that is explored explicitly in the series, which is about how human emotional makeup allows humanity to ask questions and do things that maybe the other alien species don't choose to do. I think, Max, what you're talking about, I don't want to give too much away for some people who haven't watched Enterprise, but there are aspects of season four that explains some of that, um, what happens. But I think it's it's a really great question, one that isn't truly answered. Maybe if we'd gone further in Enterprise than just four seasons, it might have been explored in some more detail. Um, yeah. about why why that leapfrogging happens. I think also this is sort of the reverse of the situations the Bajorans faced, right? When Starfleet came and, and took over Deep Space Nine and they were resentful, like, why are you here? Mm -hmm. You know, the Vulcans, it's it's not quite a, a, an accurate parallel necessarily, like one-to-one, -one, because the Vulcans, I think the resentment is that they're not sharing enough, whereas over there it's just more of like a presence thing. Mm -hmm. But but there is that element of this overbearing other superior species coming to quote unquote help and feeling benevolent, but the 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 weaker seeing that as a as an oppressive thing. Um, 
I will say to anybody who doesn't like this, and there are some who think that it betrayed what Star Trek was, watch the rest of this show. I think, again, like a lot of Enterprise, they they, they take it to a really good place, uh, in my opinion, and then they're, they're really respectful about it, and they do some really interesting things with the Vulcans throughout the show. Yeah, um, season four is an, has incredible Vulcan episodes. So, but yeah. but but even even shadows of not shadows of Pajam. Um, the episode with the monastery at Pajam shows up the first mm. time. The episode shadows of Pajam opens, and and the Vulcans being portrayed in this light also opens up the Endorians to be portrayed in a really interesting way in Enterprise as well because they're opposed to one another, mm. and so. I feel like not having the Vulcans just be buddy-buddy opens us up to some intrigue and, and fun uh, spatial politics. Uh, yeah, and, that, and that actually, uh, I mean, that touches to something we mentioned in, in Dear Doctor. Like, the, I think Star Trek has better writing for the other alien cultures than a lot of other Star Trek does, where, like, they are actually completely different societies and it's not just like these are the honor ones mm -hmm. and these are the logic <laughs> yeah. ones or whatever like what what if i just like took out the thing that made it another culture on in the united or in uh on earth that's interesting what if i like just made them less interesting and that's who these people are by the way the vulcans when so something i should mention real quick in that scene where the vulcan we see the vulcans for the first time there are a bunch of characters that are named as a tribute to um to the the TOS character. So, for example, there's Admiral Forrest, of course, Commander William, and then the uh, third guy is, uh, yeah, is Admiral, is it Leonard? Yeah, Admiral Leonard. Oh, wow. So, is he the that's one that's obvious. racist immediately? Uh... No, I, 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 I think that's, the, he's the one who says Klingot. Yeah, um, yeah. That... Uh, he's also, by the way, played by uh, Jim Beaver, who has a significant guest role in West Wing as the reporter who asks CJ the question that she flubs. And I think it's the third season first episode where she says the president is relieved to be dealing with a real crisis. And, it, and she's referring to some sort of like major like bombing that's occurred. And so the reporter's like, Are, excuse me, did you say the president is relieved to be dealing with a bombing <laughs> as opposed to his health problems? Anyway, he's a really iconic like scene in the West Wing. And when I saw his face, I was like, that's the guy. <laughs> uh, okay, sorry. Another character who's also played by a guest actor from the West Wing is, and I kid you not, his name is Toss, played by Thomas Copace. His name again, T O S, Toss, mm. literally oh named God. for the original series. So <laughs> he's he's wow. the like he's the other Vulcan apart from Saval and Tapal in that mm. scene. Yeah, um, and and Thomas Capace is like a major character actor. You will see him on if you see his face without the Vulcan makeup, you will immediately recognize him as some being someone who's like done a ton of work. Uh, Admiral Forrest, of course, played by Vaughn Armstrong, who has a record for playing the most aliens in Star Trek. And this was the first human he had played wow. <laughs> on Star Trek. Um, he famously played Dr. Telek Ramor in the Voyager episode, Eye of the Needle, one of the best early season Voyager episodes where they encounter a, a wormhole back to the Alpha Quadrant, but it's small enough to send messages and they find a Romulan starship on the other side. And I'll just leave it at that. But uh, so anyway, anyway, Vaughn Armstrong, major, major uh, guest actor. Uh, 
But getting back to to that scene, though, one of the things that I found really interesting is that the Vulcans were like, here's what the Klingons are. You wouldn't understand them. And I saw that as kind of a, a meta comment on how like lack of believability, like how the, the Klingons as they're written aren't quite believable. Just in general, like the species that is like hyper protective of honor and like we'll m- murder you if you're not like honorable. Like it's literally like them saying like, yeah, they're like this. You won't get it. So just get over yourselves and just trust us that they're like this. I thought that was like a meta Star Trek comment, but I don't know. That just might be me. <laughs> Interesting. Um, well, um, one of the other things I wanted to ask you guys about was this is this is about the part in the episode now where the crew starts coming together. And I wanted to ask you all about how y'all thought this the series handled character introductions that's something that Dina has chafed against quite a bit in the ds9 finale we talked about how voyager was a little bit better but not quite what'd y'all think about how the characters were brought in in broken ball i think i i actually uh, appreciated how each of the characters was presented in this episode because we, we 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 sort of talked about how in previous series like people act completely differently from how they end up. I think everyone is pretty darn close to how they are throughout the series. Like we, we know who each of these people are. Unfortunately uh, for Travis Mayweather, we never learn anything more about him besides what's told in this episode. But like for the, for the most part uh, we like, we get kind of where people are coming from and that is continued throughout and it and like plays into like why they have certain opinions through the show and it's and it's like um like you said notch like it it, it, they wanted to have a more character driven show like a lot of the plot that happens in this episode is because of where each of our characters is coming from and uh i i think it's it's done uh pretty well and and i i even though i don't have as many problems with ds9's pilot as as dinah did like I, I do agree that this is less like, I am this character, and I am this character. Here's my entire backstory. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I totally agree with you. Um, you know, I obviously I haven't seen all of Enterprise, so I can't speak to sort of how consistent these characters are over time. But as far as intros go, I feel like this was probably the the best in terms of character introductions. Um, and I think that speaks to the the writing I think is good. I think like the way characters are introduced feels really organic. It doesn't feel forced kind of the way that you were just describing Adam. Um, and I, I think the actors did a great job too. You know, I think like the performances in this episode were, were just really consistent. Um, nothing stood out to me as like weird or, or bad or awkward. Like everybody just played their role really solidly. No one like severely sexually harassed every single person that they came across. <laughs> <laughs> so something I wanted to throw out to y'all based on a comment you just made, Max, which is this is the most talented Star Trek cast in terms of acting ability, in my opinion. And Scott Bakula, I mean, it starts with Scott Bakula, who is a major TV actor, right? Quantum Leap. Um, but But the regular cast just in general are super talented here. And I think... When I think back to other casts, there's one or at least two or maybe three weak links sometimes where I'm like, they did a good enough job for Star Trek, but they weren't like the greatest actors. Here, I thought all of these actors are very talented. What do you all think? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would agree. It's it's kind of an interesting thing, though, because I think um, 
they are all very talented and they are all very consistent, but there's something where they all, it's not that they feel the same, but in a sense, like, I don't feel like the characters in this series from what I've seen anyway, stand out quite as much as somebody like, um, like a data does or somebody like a, a Cisco does, um, you know, so it's, it's like more consistent across the board, but it doesn't have those kind of, mm -hmm. uh, real high points in terms of some of like the characterization that you see in the other series. Yeah. I, I, I think that's a fair point, uh, which I guess, it's maybe there's sort of that trade-off with relatability and like getting the super interesting characters is they, it does seem like a, a whole bunch of just like normal people, but in space uh, <laughs> right. it, to some degree. Whereas uh, yeah, a lot of the point with the other series is like, what if there's a person who's an Android or like, what if there's a person who like can't feel like uh, is super logical in all these ways or, or someone who just like wants to shoot everything right. uh, regardless of whether it's on a view screen or not. Uh, <laughs> but, but it's yeah, you know yeah it's i was just gonna say it's it's like wh why can't we have both you know i feel like we're still waiting for the star trek series that has you know that level of consistency across the ensemble where like everybody is solid and we also get like the super interesting like super kind of detailed characters i uh, i mean i will i will disagree on just two points here i think well three Number one, I think the weakest of my points is just I think Hoshi is kind of supposed to be an uber intellectual, like she's able to like decode languages on the fly, right? Like that, I don't think they explore it enough in this episode to really like focus on it enough and how like strange that is, mm -hmm, uh, sure. for lack of a better word, compared to like three of us, for example. I don't know about you, but I can't decode Klingon just from hearing four pieces of it. But so there's that. And then when it comes to two other characters, I think that they are extremely interesting, just from first blush, for me at least. Number one is Trip. I think there's just something about Connor Trenier's portrayal of Trip that makes him a very charismatic, compelling, interesting. I mean, he's also a very attractive man. So like there's there's that aspect <laughs> of it. Like, I, I just want to know more about this guy. And like I, I feel like there's something about his I mean, he's the first, I think, character since, since uh, Bones McCoy, who has a little bit of a, a southern twang. And so mm -hmm. there, there's a little mm -hmm. bit like he's, he's not quite your, like, template. And then Tapal and Jolene Blalock's portrayal of Tapal, I think, is also mm -hmm. kind of an intriguing one. I think in this episode, she doesn't necessarily have the range that she sometimes has in the rest of the series mm. but you still see like she is really good at, in my opinion Julian yeah. Blalock at playing disgust mm. and yeah. and it has layers of annoyance like that scene in the ready room where like she comes in and she's kind of like mad and I know Vulcans are not supposed to have emotions but like it's clearly like they're, they're portraying them as having some right and, yeah uh I'm not gonna say more on that topic but um they she goes from being like kind of like annoyed to being a little bit like seething to then the dog comes and like hangs out uh mm -hmm. like and starts mm -hmm. sniffing her or whatever yeah and it's it kind of goes from there to like just utter disgust and i feel like there's the depth needed to make choices in that sort of scene to portray that is is tough and mm -hmm. so i i would i would say that there are you're you're right in that like travis hoshi <laughs> malcolm even jonathan archer to an extent they're kind of like you know those like eager leave it to beaver type 
characters who are just like, gosh darn it, we're in space, this is great. And But I'd say that there are a couple who have some range, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, you know, oh, sorry, Adam, real quick. You know, I, I agree. Um, I think T'Pol, yeah, is great. Um, and I, I thought you were actually going to mention the Doctor, um, Flocks, Flocks, right? Yeah. He, you know, and, and I, so I will actually amend my previous statement and say, I think Flocks is a pretty cool character. We don't see a ton of him in this episode, but I know from, from some later episodes that he, he's, he's pretty interesting. Adam, did you have something you wanted to add? Um, so, so the other, the other thing that I'll just mention real quick is that Flocks, since you mentioned him, uh, Max, was <laughs> John Billingsley portrayed him in um in his auditions as having squawks like a bird and just what? squawking a bunch and when he first <laughs> he came got the, part? the set are you serious <laughs> <laughs> when he was first on the set he like tried the bird like squawking and the director yelled cut and he walked out of the set and he looked at john square in the eye it's from dominic keating who was there and he looked at john square in the eye and went are you shitting me <laughs> <laughs> yeah so he, he probably went into that audition and he was saying to himself you know i'm gonna do something that nobody else here today is gonna do i'm just gonna squawk like a bird and i you know they're not gonna forget me after this audition I, that is that's wild i had no idea Right, uh, that would have been a different show. Also, something that would have made this show very different was uh, Trip being named Spike instead, which was considered. <laughs> oh no, <laughs> Spike no. Decker. <laughs> oh no, that's that's too much. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but yeah, I think I think that's that's good. Uh, I think that's good enough for the for the for the characters. What do you think of the Suleiban as a as an alien species? Because they are they become the like major villains of season one. Yeah, you know, I guess it's um, it's maybe hard to say without kind of completely knowing kind of the, the arc that they take and sort of how they develop over time. But I was intrigued by how they were portrayed in this first episode. They were um, they were different from other species that we've seen before. They were pretty unique. Um, I kind of liked the thing about them being really into uh, like genetic engineering and like modifying themselves to have new abilities. Um, I guess, you know, maybe we saw a little bit of that with the Dominion, but I feel like in general, that's kind of an underexplored theme in Star Trek. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there, there were parts that, that were a little goofy, like uh, when, the, <laughs> when the guy makes his butt flat so he can squeeze under the door uh, in the intro scene <laughs> and like, you know, stuff like that um, is, a little, is a little dated. But I think overall, they, they were pretty, pretty interesting. I mean that it's a species that doesn't need uh, plastic surgery because they can just you know it's easy they've and got they can it do easy. whatever yeah yeah right um, the I thought it was really intriguing also the way that they are visually shown as being the species that has like a very distinctive kind of spot pattern on their faces and they're at the same time they're still like core humanoid they're not shown mm -hmm. as having like weird appendages or anything like that but it's clear like these are different than right. star aliens we've seen in star trek before well and you know um, I, th I think in that sense it's it's kind of addressing that classic criticism of some of the older trek that you know all the aliens basically just look like humans with you know different outfits on um you know th they look truly alien which is cool yeah the i mean one other thing we should discuss is that gets shown in this is that they have a, a modular ship structure 
uh, as part of their their growth. Um, they they have these hub ships where all the little ships kind of join in and become the cell ships they're called. Yeah, which is yeah. which is also intriguing. I don't think we've seen that in Star Trek before, but maybe I'm mistaken. No, I I don't think so. And and I will say like visually that was super cool. Um and the the effects on on kind of that were were great. Um so yeah, pretty pretty compelling stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I I I was I think after watching this I was a little bit curious to see where they would go with the Sliban and and um I'll I'll give also a shout out to to the man who played um Selik, who's the the main uh, Saliban in um, in this episode, who again becomes kind of the, the leader of this rogue faction that is becoming um, the Temporal Cold War. Saliban, basically, for lack of better words, he's played by John Fleck um, in this episode, and I thought John Fleck does a great job. He's got a very distinctive voice, um, and and so I I enjoyed his uh, his portrayal of Selick in this episode. John Fleck, by the way, who has been in previous uh, Star Trek episodes as uh as other characters i think the ones that may be uh the some are cardassian some are romulan but anyway um another thing that we we should talk a little bit about um is unfortunately the sexiness <laughs> of the show um yes yes, yes. this was a very uh, sexy episode and i distinctly at the time remember some news reports about like UPN needs needs attractiveness and maybe like mm. it's like the trend on TV right now is to be sexy so we need sex and Max you were there we went back we looked at like the top yep rated TV shows of the 2000s trying to find something yeah one. I didn't see anything sexy like Survivor sure because they're on an island and everybody's in like swimsuits but like it was everybody loves Raymond, Friends, CSI, Lauren. These are not sexy shows. Like the no, ones, no, you know, they, they don't have scantily it. clad like corpses on Law and Order. You know, right? <laughs> um, and we're, we're like, can you imagine Law and Order? They're like, all right, we we need to like look at the body, but we all need to rub gel to disinfect it first. <laughs> like that's essentially yeah, what's happening in this yeah. show. Um, because we get the decon scenes, the famous decon scenes. Did I mean, you know that that was going to come? No, 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 I, I didn't. Um, you know, I, I'll, I'll, I'll say it again. Is it possible that, that Star Trek decided to kind of boldly go somewhere where other TV shows <laughs> at the time were not going? You know, could it be that the producers were like, okay, we're going to do something a little bit different here. Star Trek is going to be the sexy show on TV now. I mean, I, I have no idea, but, but maybe. That could be, right? Like, I mean, I think there was something also about that, like, 18 to 36-year-old male demographic that UPN mm -hmm. was probably, like, that's the, like, sure. cliche demo. That, sure. that That's probably what UPN was trying to go. And the producers were like, how do we get these people? TNA. Let's do right, that. Right, right. Easy uh, answer. But, yeah. Yeah, but I think there's also, like, a good point of, like, that you just made about, like, inverting that, like, stodgy Star Trek thing where they're like, yeah, you think we're, like, lame? Well, is this lame? Um, well, and I, you know, I hate to, I hate to bring it back to the theme song, but I, I feel like that might have been part of it too, where it's like, you no, know, this is, you know, this is like a hip new show. We've got like, you know, some cool like indie singer singing the theme song. We've got like scantily clad aliens. Like, this is going to be like a cool show for young people. Yeah, I mean, and there's also like, I mean, so okay, so we see the, the like butterfly eating 
alien women. Right. Who, by the way, were in late, foul-smelling latex. These two actors were actresses who were also twins. Mm. Uh, one of them vomited and passed out because the, the, it was so uncomfortable oh, oh, and no. like awful. Uh, sadly, but they enjoyed apparently their their time filming this episode. So I should I should put that out there. Um, there's also the thing where the Saliban lady like measures trust by like passionately kissing Jonathan Archer. <laughs> <laughs> it's so contrived. It's like, oh yeah, I, I can measure trust, but it requires closeness. <laughs> um, well, and the, the, you know, just to go briefly back to the, the decontamination scene, like, it didn't even make sense. Like, you know, they still had some clothes on. Like, what what is this... What is this thing, what is this chamber supposed to do? So they're in there, they have underwear on, but then they have to, like, rub this gel on their skin, and somehow that's supposed to, like, get the germs <laughs> off? Like, what the heck? <laughs> I mean, it kind of makes sense, right? Like, it's kind of an interesting way to say, like, okay, Star Trek, they just beam back from a planet, and they're not going right. to give a damn about, like, because the the transportation filter, the, the transporter filter or the buffer or whatever takes away all the pathogens. Mm -hmm. They can't do that here. So they have to like go through some sort of decon. Right. Compelling. And, and you know, this is, this is a, a concept that we see in a lot of other um, science fiction, like especially kind of like gritty, you know, hard science fiction, um, like the decontamination chamber, like in, in something like Alien, for example, we might see something like this. But I, I guess what I'm saying is like, for this to make sense, they really should have been naked, you know, like that, that yeah, would make a lot 100%. more sense. Yeah. Or, or just like in a little, like, in like, you know, those uh, uh, changing rooms in like, in, um, uh, clothes shops where you can like yeah, see right. the person's head and their feet so you know someone's in there. Exactly. That but you have, have like a few cubes and like you got your own like gel. I don't, I mean, I, I you know, presumably if you're in Starfleet, you have your limber enough to like reach behind you and like <laughs> rub gel in places. Or that maybe, maybe there could be like a shower you. or something. Like the, the idea that like the way this system works is people have to like <laughs> give each other back rubs to, to decontaminate <laughs> is just ridiculous. There's just one guy in Starfleet who's like, oh yeah, this is I've got I like to get the free massages. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so the actors said that they have differing takes on this. Connor Trenier, who played Tripp, said that he wasn't a fan because they had to scrub the gel off between takes, mm -hmm. which left their skin kind of chafed. And for this particular episode, he, like, shaved his chest hair with a razor, which was really painful and, like, Ugh. it grew back all spiky. If you've shaved your hair, you know what I'm oh, talking about. <laughs> yeah, so... But then there was another thing where Jolene Blalock was talking about another decon scene where she and Archer are in the decon chamber and she's like you know it was, it was fine scott bakula's his super attractive body so it was like it was okay <laughs> she didn't mind okay <laughs> yeah but like i mean it is it is super like weird and like mm -hmm. it's it's not what this show should be about i would say it's as it it goes almost to like the gross area or maybe mm -hmm. it does go to the gross area. i don't know i it's just like it's so unnecessary like yeah, you see, this is the kind of thing you expect from like Baywatch, but without like Baywatch, at least happens on the beach. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, conceivably, people are maybe wearing swimsuits at the beach. Sure. Right, and th this was it was so blatant and so just ridiculous that I I didn't. There's also that line that Travis and Trip are having about the women on Trailax, and it's just like 
I don't know. It didn't. It it was yeah. very very unsophisticated. Let's put it that way. Huh? I, I'm I'm with you. I I wouldn't say you know this didn't like ruin the episode or anything for me, but I think it was gratuitous. It was unnecessary. It didn't feel. Like like a Star Trek thing to do, and um, I feel like I have to say the uh, the butterfly ladies, um, you know, aside from sort of like the sexualized nature of that scene, that kind of felt like a Star Wars scene. Like that's like <laughs> something you would see at the cantina, you know. And I was like, why why is this in here? You know, like this is not Star Trek. One one thing, and I didn't go back to look at this, but there's a little bit of a disturbing element to that when they first show it, because, like, Trip hears two people having some sort of a conflict behind a door, mm. and Tapal pulls him away, and it's yeah. like, I don't know what that was a reference to, but it could be some pretty gross stuff, um, and I I wasn't a huge fan of, of that being displayed. Like, I understand, like, humanity have to be, like, kind of you know, they don't understand other cultures, but just the way that was portrayed was not, there was no like sense of like, like unlike the boy who's breathing heavily because it's explained what's happening. Right, right. Um, sure. That seemed more like just like, you know, crime is okay somewhere. And I didn't, I didn't like that very much. Um, but um, so, okay, we've talked about and, and critiqued quite a bit about this episode in some granular detail but now let's just talk about the story in general like what did we think about the story of this episode as it unfolds the themes the the action and the adventure basically what did you all enjoy what you saw in this episode i i think broadly yeah like the it's it's an interesting uh like it, it's a way of illustrating like no, we we need to make decisions for ourselves. Like it's it sort of like it fits into the theme exactly, and uh, we see like it's not just. I don't know. I I feel like sometimes Star Trek kind of gives us a like, well, I don't know. This is this is like where things are right now, or like they, these these people have to act this way, and so it's sort of like contrived. But this one felt like. Uh, if we're going to show humanity trying to take its steps, its first steps out, like what what kind of mission would we be like going out on a limb and then like proving ourselves somehow and then taking on something like bigger than is expected? So like I think it makes sense to have the uh, like the Sulaban th thrown in there as like the maybe the Vulcans wouldn't even know what to do about it and to have Enterprise come through successfully. I I, I think that the that storyline works pretty well. I it's a little bit wibbly with the time stuff, but mm -hmm. uh, I I I I think overall it's pretty effective. Yeah, I, I'd agree. I I feel like the um the time stuff, the the temporal cold war, you know that piece. Um, I I assume that becomes very important later on. I feel like it it feels a little kind of tacked on in this first episode. Um, and it it feels a little sort of um, you know, unclear, you know, like what, what is exactly happening here with this Klingon and like the information that he's carrying and all this stuff. That being said, um, I thought this was just really fun to watch. I mean, this was like action packed, great set pieces, um, great battles, huge explosions. Um, there, there was a lot of cool stuff happening in this episode. And I think that, um, even with kind of those flaws that, that we're talking about, this this hung together and, and like was more compelling as a story, I think, than some of the other pilots that we've talked about. I think the in addition to the good acting, they were on 40 different sets for this mm. show. 
And I think that she, the amount of different stuff that we saw, we saw an away mission, we saw an ambush, we saw the transporter being used, we saw a new alien uh, ship, we saw Earth, we saw medical, you know, like we saw so many different settings. We saw Kronos. Yeah. Um, and I think the presentation also of some of those things, like, for example, the decision to not translate what the Klingons are saying in Kronos. I think it gives you that sense of movement and shift and change that maybe caretaker didn't have as much of. I think emissary had more of it. Um, so I, I I agree with y'all. Like I really liked how this story like unfolded, and I am with you, Max, and that the temporal cold war stuff is is kind of just like ancillary and like it's more or less entirely set up. And I feel like it's that human element of like we can we can go where our heart takes us sorry sorry that was unintentional um that 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 is the strongest uh piece of this episode and it comes through loud and clear and again it's it's that compelling cast of of actors who i think convince us of that of those emotions so um so i liked it i think there was one two things finally that i want to point your attention to first one was uh, Enterprise's use of the very in vogue bullet time at the end there, where Archer like oh dodges god. the like yeah, laser full Neo on it. I was like, oh my god! Somebody watched <laughs> the Matrix recently. <laughs> Which back uh, then it, it was recently. It's true. So, it was like yeah. literally that year, I think. Yeah. <laughs> so so just a, just a brief discussion of the CG on that point. What y'all think of the CG in this episode? I. It, for for me, it it's it's actually interesting. Be, well, it's it's weird watching it now because the previous series have all been remastered. Mm. So, uh, well, I mean, not Voyager, but like the the like we're we saw lots of uh, like new treatments of stuff, and then to go straight into this one, I, it's it actually there's a lot of things about this because I, I think it was also shot in 720p. Like it's not actually. Uh, H full HD like the show's kind of weird and blurry and it looks like yeah. uh, I'm playing Star Trek Armada on my uh, laptop <laughs> and it's it's just uh, yeah it, it's it's just it's weird seeing it from this perspective because we have these like gorgeous treatments of of all these ships that we've seen uh, sort of in today's today's world but mm. um, yeah so I, I th that was the main jarring thing for for me uh, CG wise but like as far as uh the effects generally go i i think it worked pretty well mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah I, i'd agree i i think there were there were parts and i think especially kind of that part like the bullet time like suliban battle at the end um that didn't that didn't look great but there were other other pieces i think like generally sort of the like the exterior spaceship shots like that all looked pretty cool like the the star base with all the little pods um i thought that looked really cool yeah um so so there were pieces that i thought still looked pretty solid but other, yeah other stuff has not aged as well i'll give another shout out to the props though which uh i thought that the, especially the, the the phase pistols i thought are really cool as cool. a prop and yeah. so they they have this kind of like full retro feel to a lot of their like prop usage which i really enjoyed um as well but yeah uh just just on your point of the um of the the aspect ratio adam they weren't sure whether this show was going to be broadcast in four to three or 16 to nine and so they filmed it so that it could be done in both aspect ratios. 
I didn't really notice it at the time, but now when it was when I read this on Memory Alpha, now I'm like, yeah, there was a lot of stuff happening towards the center of the screen <laughs> in, in this in this show. Um, one last thing. So the end of this episode is when they receive word from Starfleet that like, hey, you can keep going, get out there, and I'm just like, did everybody back? Did they like tell their like? spouses and parents and stuff like yo i'm gonna yeah. go on for five years like you know yeah, is this supposed to be a five-year mission is that is that kind of what the the plan is or i i don't know i don't know if they attached a number to it or i guess maybe i missed that i don't think they attached a number to it either that i i caught but still okay. it's just like yeah, yeah just keep going totally, get out there totally <laughs> yeah i i mean i that was that was kind of silly like how how did <laughs> How did completing this mission somehow, like, you know, suggest to Starfleet Command that, like, they're, yeah, okay, like, you guys are good, you know, you, you passed the <laughs> test, I guess you can go on your mission now. It's like, that's yeah. not how decisions are, are made in, like, the Navy. <laughs> Come on. <Yeah. laughs> you met aliens from the future who are intent on destroying us. Uh, that sounds good. Keep, keep doing yeah, that. Just, yeah, sure, go do that. We, we don't need you here. <laughs> More of this, please. More of this, please. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, one one just production note. We've talked a lot about production, but I'll, I'll just give you one note, which is the score of this episode was composed and recorded over 10th September 2011 or 2001 and 11th September 2001. And on that second day of recording, they actually asked Dennis McCarthy, the composer, if he wanted to postpone the recording session. And the, he and the orchestra decided to just continue and get it done. Uh, despite the events of the day. And so it's wow. you, McCarthy later wow. called it the hardest recording session of his entire career. Jeez. Um, okay. Max, you're going to, you've only watched the first season of enterprise. So you're going to have to close your ears a little bit here, <laughs> but, and Adam, maybe we can try to stay as spoiler free as we can. Let's reflect just for a couple of minutes on enterprise and our feelings on the rest of the show, given this pilot. I, 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 I don't know. I for for me the the show. It I I think it it gets a it's it's underrated for sure. Like the this there's a lot of really so solid Star Trek that happens throughout this series, and it's just the I I I think that um it's just it's really unfortunate what what it kind of happened to its reputation like from the from the outset and and how how it's been treated because like. There's a lot of really compelling storytelling. They've fixed a lot of the mistakes that a lot of other uh, uh, Star Trek shows have had. We still have the uh, uh, we we still have the um, sort of the representation thing that's not not great in this or in this show. Like uh, for some reason, T'Pol like had cool robes at the beginning of the of the episode, but then like it gets into like the skin tight spacesuit thing. Like it's at least less revealing than Seven of Nines or whatever. But like the, I I feel like um, it especially like does a disservice to Jolene Blaylock, who who's an incredible actor in this show. That it's it feels like the people who were. Um, uh, sort of like designing the the costumes for everybody were more were more like oh well she's the sexy one right uh, and like that's the purpose of her on the show which is uh, I don't know for for me that it feels like that sucks and it's uh, for how compelling a character she is and the um, but just like it, an enterprise it it goes a lot of interesting places 
I, I think that the setting is a little bit wrong. I think they should have started it right before the founding of the Federation and then shown mm. us like that. Um, so I, I, I think that's my main quibble because I, I think we're 10 years before the start of the Federation instead of one or two years. Um, and so I, I think there's a, a few things that I, I might have changed about how that like was fit into the lore. But uh, overall, I, I, I do really like Enterprise. Yeah, I think that Enterprise fixed a lot of Voyager's problems with um, the the episodic nature. It was much more serialized, although mm-hmm. they didn't go full DS9. They had more arcs, except for season three, which yeah. was essentially 9-11 in space. Um, and I think that they... The, only also, I think they hit the right mark in season four. Um, and I really enjoyed that season. I enjoyed season three mm-hmm. as well. Uh, I think season one and two are not the strongest, but they started with the strongest pilot in all of Star Trek. Spoiler for my rating. Um, and I think that they they had some very good episodes in season one and two. There, I, I was talking about this with Max just a second ago on the break, and it's not mostly good. It's It's mostly mediocre. But they had some really good ones. Like Carbon Creek in season two is probably one of my favorite episodes in all of Star Trek. Um, And so I think the places that they go are interesting. I think some of the threads that are left in this episode, in this pilot, are not used to their full potential and resolved poorly. And I'll just leave it there. Uh, for yeah. Max's sake, <laughs> but um, so so I don't think they necessarily knew what they were doing as much as maybe needed to to put down some of the things that they did here, uh, or at least they didn't pick up on them as well as some other writers might have. But yeah. I think they replaced them with other compelling things. I think with Jolene Blalock, I will say, you know, her casting in this was definitely reacted to by the fans much in the same way or in the in in the context of seven of nine's time on voyager which again you know we were talking a second ago about sex appeal on star trek they literally put a woman in a skin-tight bodysuit for three seasons of a tv show or four seasons was it four season four five six seven so four seasons yeah and we just accepted that it's like oh this is sci-fi or or we were supposed to just accept that yeah, and it's yeah. it's really gross if you really think of not really think you don't even have to give it that much deep thought. Yeah, yeah. But I think Jolene Blalock was kind of like reacted to at the time as ah, this is just you know their latest attempt at TNA, and you know again they put her in a very tight outfit. Uh, they again give her a very different outfit in future seasons. It's not the blocky flight suit that everybody else is wearing. So there's certainly truth in that, but I think that that sells her too short though. She is. I I am fully like I will defend this to the death, but her and Jerry Ryan are two of the strongest members of their respective casts, and they are very hard done by their appearances on this show and how people reacted to them. I think yeah. if you can just accept their appearances for and and as and compartmentalize the grossness of that, you will see some very compelling acting. And I mean, Seven of Nine, you yeah. know. We know that already, but like Jolene Blalock's Paul throughout Enterprise is one of the best characters on the entire show. And I would say within Star Trek is one of the most compelling character arcs for a main character. Some of the things that we see her struggle with on this show and deal with are so 
I mean, there, there's like galactic wide issues she has to deal with, but then very personal issues. There yeah. are issues of health and and her sense of herself. And it's so I think when you when you mentioned that her her character, I think that touched that off in me uh, just for myself that I, I was going back and rewatching Enterprise. I was surprised by how um, struck I was with with her and then equally i would say struck by how weak they were in writing travis mayweather and hoshi sato yeah. who have very poor character development and you know emily's referred to this on a previous episode of our show but hey the two people of color on the cast get the weakest writing um in this series yeah, like, when is that when has that happened before that's that... <laughs> right um <laughs> So, so the, there, <sighs> it's not all good. Let's put it that way. But yeah. I think the show deserved a fifth season. Um, it was just, I think it was in an era where Star Trek had burned its welcome, uh, burned yeah. out its welcome, and and needed. It was it 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 didn't get a fair shake because of that, in my opinion. Well, um, just one memorable moment, really quick. Optimism, Captain. Yeah, CG smile. Uh, Does he always keep stick smiling like that later on in the show? Or, or... yes, they they, okay. they 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 let they let him be full full on creepy. Like uh, we forget that he's creepy, and then he'll just like smile at someone. We're like, oh my god, <laughs> He has enough personality as it is. Yeah. So they don't need the smile. <laughs> and and this is this is. I mean, again, I'll go back to this is the good Neelix, right? Like this is Neelix right. done right. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. So anyway. All right, with that, it's time for Strange New Ratings. Again, we've got lucky and don't need to stick our necks out because one of us, Rudy, decided to he had to leave midway through the recording and has pre-recorded his recording, so we let him stick his neck out first and give his rating. So I, I um, as I said before, I really like the expansion into, um, into the rest of the galaxy side of um, this um, this the series, this pilot, so I think that's really appealing. Um, I never really got the temporal war. Uh, I think there was a lot of potential, um, so I'm going to go ahead and give it um, seven and a half um, Bornfield shotguns out of ten. <laughs> um, I, I, will, I, I will go ahead and say that it, it is actually... The only pilot that I have watched in this in this podcast pilot series that 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 um, pushed me to go watch one or two more episodes. I'm I'm already in episode six, um, so that that part was interesting, and I think it was just that whole bit about going out into the rest of um, rest of the galaxy. So yeah, seven point five. All right, which of you would like to go next and and give Broken Bow a rating? Well. I, so I think I I telegraphed mine at the beginning, and uh, but I I don't know it as we've been talking it's everyone's been reminding me about like how this like this is a good pilot uh, so the thing is I I uh, for for me the the DS nine pilot was more impactful so like I I felt a lot of like deep emotional connection to like what was going on especially those first like five minutes um, which I I didn't really feel in this episode um especially the first five minutes like (laughs) weird contrast uh with that one but the but the thing is like this is a this is a great pilot we're not like shoving things down our throats quite so much 
and it's and it also just like it's consistent pretty well with the rest of the series and it's it's just uh including with how disappointing the uh, whole temporal war uh, arc is <laughs> that's that it's just as disappointing the entire time uh, just oh, just no. you wait but <laughs> got a lot to look forward to i guess yeah yeah but the the uh i i i just uh, so that this 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 is great uh great beginning of a series and it's it is i think the best first se- first season of any star trek um so i, I i'm going to give this one this this gets a solid 9 for me so when you say best first season of Star Trek, you would say like up to this point that it aired, right? Uh, yeah, I, I I I need to rewatch this first season and then this the first season of Discovery. Uh, first season of Picard uh, is well below this in my opinion, but but Lower well, Decks is also not as good. Ah, oh, damn! I forget that Lower Decks exists. Okay, <laughs> I was never gonna mind. Say, like, this this is that. like in the top three or fours. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, feels good to be able to say that there are that many yeah yeah okay okay um let's see here uh so (laughs) i'm gonna give you two ratings um with the theme song included (laughs) i'm gonna give this episode a 7.5 if we take the theme song out it goes up to an 8.5 and so that would be my that would be my real rating it's i'm gonna go 8.5 um I yeah I, I agree I think this is one of the strongest if not the strongest uh, pilot episodes of all the Star Trek series I think for all of the reasons we were talking about I mean the the world building is is solid um, the characterization is great the acting is far more consistent than some of the other episodes we've seen I think the writing is good um, I think really the the flaws that are there are um, smaller than we see in in other series and I think most importantly like to me, this was just like the most enjoyable pilot to watch. This felt like kind of a fun action romp. It did feel very mm-hmm. cinematic. Um, you know, that hour and a half just flew by and I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Well, I won't belabor the topic. I'll say that I'm giving this an 8.5 and uh, leave it there. Um, I tremendously, tremendously enjoyed it. And I haven't watched Broken Bow like this episode in a very, very long time, maybe like six or seven years. So, because I remembered it not being good, and now I just feel very stupid for holding that opinion for several years. So, um, yeah, I I think I'll be going and watching some more Enterprise in in the future. Maybe at some point we can do like a season three like a rewatch. Maybe Max can watch season two, and then we can all watch season three together from beginning to end since it's such I like a serialized it. arc. And um, maybe a, a special episode on Broken Arrow too. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do broken next arrow week, everyone join us uh, join, our, join our broken arrow podcast starting next week right we can we can do um the emissary from tng there's i think there's like where no one has gone before is an episode of something else so we can well, do and that. there's like, also all... uh there's far beyond the stars which is we kept uh misstating the name of one of our of the episodes that we recently were talking about Okay, so all, all the ones where we've made mistakes, so they sound like other episodes. We'll do we'll do a series of that's not the episode you're thinking about. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, with that, thank you, Adam. Thank you, Max, for being here today. Very much appreciate. Thank you, also Rudy, who had to leave a little bit early. 
And thank you, Notch, for hosting. Of course, us. of course. Thank, thank you, Dinah. Thank you, Emily. Thank you, Bill, wherever y'all are and whatever y'all are doing. I hope y'all are having a wonderful day. Uh, and thank you, listener, for, for listening to us. Shout out to my neighbor, Paul, who mentioned that he listens to the podcast. And I didn't ask him to. So uh, very cool. He said he found it on the internet. So that's for my co-host benefit. Uh, there are people who actually do that. And so thank you if you've done that. We do appreciate you being here with us week after week. Thank you, Jishnu Guha, for recording our theme music. Always appreciated. Uh, I wonder if I can find like a special, like uh, decompacted version of that theme for this episode because the Klingons aren't translated, so our theme music should reflect that somehow. But we'll see. And and special thanks also to the to the butterflies in the in the Star Trek Cantina. You know, I don't know if they're holographic, and we never established that. And I feel like they're the unsung characters of this episode. Such a compelling character arc. So many, like, compelling questions about their nature and what happens to them. If they're holographic, do they give sustenance to the butterfly ladies? Are they holographic? Truly, this is the thread that has to be pulled in future episodes. They could have a season-long arc about the butterflies that the butterfly ladies eat. And, you know, Brandon Braga, that could be super sexy, too. Like a sexy UPN-based Enterprise arc on just the Butterfly Ladies. And that's it. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm just saying. Like, there we could, go. it could be something that we explore in detail. All right, the everybody. The Star Trek series. Right, exactly. All right, everybody, we'll come back to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Welcome to Strange New Takes. I'm your host, Notch Karnick, and with me in the decontamination stream. <laughs> <laughs> That's where we are? Oh, no. Yeah. Uh, good thing we run out of gel. There's no gel, so I, I thought we were going to be having, like, intimate or, like, uh, interesting, memorable moments with our fathers, like, uh, or anything like that. Just straight into the decontamination gel. All right, somebody put the gel on my back. I can't quite reach this spot. Well, okay. What about your ears, Rudy? Do you need any? I've got some right, right here. All right, well, I'm Max. I'm glad I'm we're getting it out of our system now. Like, let's not talk about it. On the I mean, I could put this at the end after the credits. Um, okay.